Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. My guest this week is entrepreneur Spencer Matthews, founder and CEO of Clean Liquor Co. Spencer, thanks for joining us 10 days after having a baby or watching someone else have a baby, I should say. It's, it's tough times. Uh, it's tough times for fatherhood. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks so much for taking the time out and, and joining us. And uh, we'll mark it so that your, 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 uh, your baby knows that you were, you were on a podcast show talking about them 10 days after they were born. Absolutely. Lucky, lucky girl. Lucky girl, indeed. Well, look, Spencer, uh, maybe we could start off by you kindly telling my audience a little bit about yourself. I, I only found out about you personally 10 days ago, and now I know everything is about your life, but my audience might not know about you, although I know a lot of people in the world do, but do tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, God, uh, okay, I'm 32 years old. It was my birthday a few days ago, so, so there you go. Um, uh, your audience may know me if they're British from having made... Um, a lot of questionable television uh, over the last few years uh, in my early 20s uh, up until kind of my late 20s. Uh, we started a show called Made in Chelsea, uh, which did, I think, far better than, than we expected it might um, and kept a number of us in it for far longer than we thought uh, we would be. Uh, and I've done another of other, a number of other shows, The Jump, MasterChef, uh, a few other bits and pieces that, that Brits might recognize uh, before moving into starting my own businesses, uh, the most proud of which I am uh, is what I'm currently doing, the, the Clean Liquor Company, uh, where we essentially uh, aim to change people's view and consumption of full-strength alcohol by producing very, very low-alcohol gin, rum, uh, and vodka, tequila, etc. to come. Uh, so that you can enjoy all the kind of flavor and taste of a full-strength alcoholic drink uh, without any negative effects of the alcohol. Uh, point being that uh, people are consuming less and less full-strength alcohol. Uh, being kind of drunk in the center of attention is less popular and cool nowadays than it used to be, especially when I was growing up. And, uh, and people want choice uh, without compromise. Uh, a lot of people drink uh, too much alcohol out of bad habits, essentially, uh, because it's the only thing on offer and has been around for you know thousands of years. So my belief is that now when you want a gin and tonic or a rum and coke, you can have it without the alcohol if you feel like it, instead of being that sober person who just drinks water on a night out. And there we go. I can hear my two-year-old trying to break the door down as well, so you uh, might have something in the don't worry, my, my three-year-old will be doing the same. That's lockdown in, in London right now, folks. That's life. So forgive us on Spotify if you've got background music. Hopefully we'll make it worth your time by continuing to listen through the noises. But I, I, Spencer, I, I absolutely love your journey. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about it and, and understand how you got to where you are today with the Clean Liquor Company and, and what actually made you become an entrepreneur. It's, it's For a lot of my listeners out there who want to become entrepreneurs, I, I think they like to understand people's personal journeys. So, so where did it all begin for you? Were your parents entrepreneurs? How did it all happen? Yeah, my father's, uh, I think I can say, a pretty respected businessman. He came from very humble beginnings up north. Uh, he's from Sheffield, and uh, I, I was born in Grantham. Uh, he, uh, by that time, dad had already done quite well, so I can't pretend to have had uh, some, some horrible childhood. But dad's father was a coal miner, and uh, he had pretty much nothing his, his whole childhood. He was a mechanic and, and grew up um uh, fixing cars, uh, and uh, then became a racing driver. Um, invested quite early in Plaxton, in, in um, Plaxton buses, uh, and uh, and essentially do, does bits and pieces in, in Sheffield, and then later branched out into kind of pro more property based deals um, until finally becoming uh, the person behind the Eden Rock Hotel in, in St. Bart's. So a bit of a journey there from him. I've always looked up to him and uh, loved his work ethic, and found him to be quite fascinating. He's one of those interesting guys who kind of you feel always has quite a sensible answer for most things and you know, I feel as I've learned quite a lot from him over the years brother's got a um excellent work ethic as well and you know he, he works in finance and I've always looked up to him as well so I feel as I've got two strong characters uh, within my family who uh have managed to touch a level of success going forwards uh and in the past but um but yeah I I, I think uh, as far as being an entrepreneur goes, you know, technically 
you're trying to do things that haven't been done before, really. Uh, and, and I've always felt like that's something that I would have wanted to do. Never quite had the drive or, or ability to kind of uh, put some of my theories to the test before. Um, I drank pretty heavily throughout my 20s. Um, I to excess really quite regularly, uh, and that essentially completely slowed me down uh, and kind of dumbed me down as well uh, in the sense that, you know, as my television career in inverted commas was kind of doing okay, uh, I wasn't really... Um, I wasn't really kind of creating much in terms of uh, you know, a business or developing an idea or a legacy, should we say. Um, and it was a kind of light bulb moment. My wife is a very strong woman and it became apparent that uh, my drinking really was getting in the way of my ability to, to, to become the person that I wanted to become. Uh, and uh, I, I realized, uh, I think Bradley Cooper said it quite well as well. He realized when he was about 30 years old that he simply just wasn't going to achieve his potential uh, if he carried on drinking the way he was drinking. That's exactly what I became afraid of uh, was that, you know, I was just going to drift into kind of middle aged having uh, achieved some things that some people might see as valuable, but essentially that I didn't. And, and, and you know, uh, you know, I, I just thought, began to, began to realize that actually, you know, maybe my dad and my wife would never really be fully proud of me unless I completely changed my uh, relationship with alcohol. And so I did. And, uh, and it was great. And it opened my eyes to this incredible market um, of sober curious people who, you know, still want to be involved in a night out or still want to be able to socialize and enjoy the ritual of drinking uh, an alcoholic beverage or an, a grown up drink. Um, with, but who didn't want the negativity of, of or, or association of being drunk. Um, it's very much heading down the kind of smoking route. I'm not sure if you smoke. I smoked for, you know, a number of years. And, you know, ultimately you kind of do that and you know that it's it's really bad for you, but for whatever reason you decide to do it anyway. And there's that addiction piece and, and just the bad habit piece. And my drinking was, uh, I wouldn't say I was ad addicted to alcohol. I was, uh, it was just a very bad habit that was, very present in a lot of my work. I was a forward, forward foreign exchange broker in the city and uh, ran events and, you know, there was always good reason to be drinking. And actually, uh, nowadays, uh, millions of people are wise to uh, drinking less or not at all. And so uh, I thought it would be a really exciting opportunity to develop uh, authentic products that essentially reminds you of that alcoholic drink that you may feel like, uh, but without the alcohol. Yeah, it's, it's a story I can um, relate to. I mean, I, I left home and school at 15 years old. I couldn't afford to buy a round, so I used to have water so that I wouldn't feel awkward. But the social effect on you uh, not drinking, it was quite profound for me. People would throw sayings out like, you can't trust someone who doesn't drink, which I never really understood, you know, because like, you could trust me to drive you home at least, right? Cause it, yeah. But there's a, weird, there's a weird, almost like you're outside if you don't drink, you're not part of yeah. a certain system. So I think it's actually fantastic that you produced this product range because it's one thing not drinking, but it's another thing still being able to be socially involved in things and have fun, right? So I think saying don't drink at all, which is kind of the route I personally went, is perhaps not the best way having an option for people that still want to enjoy that social activity it's the only it's the only positive life choice that i can think of that has a negative stigma surrounding it mm. most people who decide to do something positive with their life whether it be taking up running or going to the gym or quitting smoking you you receive a kind of pat on the back for it it's a good thing to be doing to look after your health um but still to this day, there, there's, a, there's a strange stigma. Around, well, if you're a woman, for example, you're in a bar and you're not drinking, you must be pregnant. Or, or like, and if you're a guy and you're not drinking, um, there's a kind of, you know, it, it, there's a negative connotation with it that, that surrounds it. So we're looking to make uh, sobriety not only more accessible, but also just more widely understood as being a positive thing. Uh, having said that, I've got absolutely no issues with, with alcohol. You know, I spent many years having an awful lot of fun drinking alcohol. It just um, really was beginning to stand in the way of my success. Uh, and, uh, and being successful is quite important to me um, in terms of kind of business, just, just for my own peace of mind. I'm a very competitive person. 
whether that be on the sports field or even with my wife, you know, as you might may have seen on, on some of our TV shows, um, but also with myself, you know, I want to be, I want to be optimal. I want to be the best businessman I can be. I want to earn as much money as I can. I want to be able to support my family in the best way possible. You know, I want no limitations in my life. Um, and in order to do that for me, uh, and develop a business that resonates with millions of people all over the world, I couldn't have done that if I wasn't sober. And we haven't quite achieved that yet with the business, but it's certainly moving the right direction. Well, I think it's, it's a bit like, you know, for my listeners out there who want to be entrepreneurs, you know, it's a bit like being an athlete. You have to keep practicing at it. You keep having to get good at it. If, you, if your mind isn't sharp and you can't absorb, then, then you can't push yourself forward as a business person, right? So that makes, yes. that makes total sense. You mentioned success there, which is an interesting word. For you at this stage in your life, how do you measure success? Uh, I mean, it sounds cheesy, obviously, but happiness is obviously a major factor in life. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's actually far more relevant the older you get when you have a family. You know, like looking after yourself is quite easy, I think. Uh, you know, grow, grow, I don't know how you know, independent the, the average listener is, but when you only have yourself to look after, um, you know, I found being happy is quite easy. You do what you want when you want to do it. And, you know, that might be a really selfish view, but, you know, ultimately it's quite easy to, to, to please yourself. Uh, when you have a wife and two kids, uh, the happiness and, and, and overall feel of the family is obviously very important. You've got to put them first, uh, which, of course, is, is a natural thing, I find. Um, but also, in a monetary sense, I think it's important to be able to break down um, – your ideas and your own worth. It's very, it's very hard, and, and it became quite hard for me to, to value, uh, to put a monetary value on my own worth um, when you don't really know where you're going. If you're always working kind of for somebody else or for an institution, I've had many jobs where I'm not the boss, and you kind of feel that you, you put. I felt personally that you know you put in long hours, boss richer. You know you end up you end up not essentially enjoying your job because it's unfulfilling because it's not giving you what you deserve perhaps. Uh, so I've known for some time that I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur and work for myself. It's a risky play. You know, it doesn't always work. 99% of startups fail. Uh, but I feel as though if you have really good advice that you can lean on, you know, feeling, feeling like you have all the is not, you're right for sound. Yeah. As my son uh, decided to uh, kick off in the middle of a podcast, which is perfect. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. We'll carry on. I think it's all right. He's not asking he, for me yet, so it's all good. I feel as though, I feel as though um, a lot of people nowadays like to feel like they have all the answers, and that's very rarely the case. Uh, you need to be completely open to learning uh, and being guided. You know, This business that I've started would not have been possible without proper guidance from key people and individuals and surrounding myself with people far smarter and experienced than me. Um, I think even Bill Gates has, has said, you know, he surrounds himself with incredibly smart people, even though he's arguably one of the smartest people in the world. You know, you can't achieve big dreams on your own. Um, or, you know, I'm sure some people have, that's a generalization, but it, it's rare. Um, I think we've got a bit off piece. I don't really know what we were talking about. No, I, I think we're talking about success. And I, and I think you're, you're, you've moved on quite rightly, I think, to how perhaps success can be obtained. And I think surrounding yourself with people that make you better. I think is a, is a big part of it. I mean, I, I think your partner in life is another huge deal you make um, with no contract often that can be a huge change, change maker. Sounds like that's been a big, big influence on you, finding the right partner that's helped you go the right direction. Uh, are you talking about my wife or yes. my business? Well, Eva, yeah. actually. We, we could talk about Eva. I was talking about Vogue, your, 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 your yeah, yeah. partner in life, but your business partner too. We could talk about that too. I think Vogue is, Vogue is the first person that I've been with, well, the first and last, that, that I uh, tr truly kind of need to impress, you know, and I need her to respect me. Uh, and I seek it almost kind of passionately. Like, if I feel that she's... Uh, and it's not a respect thing either. We've always, ha we've always had... Uh, respect for one another and we've always been a level playing couple um but half of the things that i end up doing is kind of almost constantly seeking validation from my, my wife because i want her to be blown away by the difference in uh, me two years ago and me now um you know it's uh it's it is interesting i, I, I find that the minute you start doing things 
just yourself is is when you know you're going to become complacent at some point and just be comfortable where you are. Whereas if you're always striving to be better an individual, it's uh, it's easier to achieve your goal. I, th- I think actually, you're you're for me, you're identifying one of the definitions of love. If you ask me, like I have exactly the same feeling with my partner. She's made me better. I often say I, w- I wouldn't be successful today if it wasn't for her, and 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 she's made me better. And I think it's because I love her so much. I feel like this, yeah. when you when you truly love someone, you want to improve. People say you can't a leopard can't change its spots. I don't think that's true. Actually, you know, it, it's it's the, the leopard I mean, needs to want to change its spots. Yeah, or you know, it's just—it's kind of a bad analogy, but um, you know, there there is a time and a stage where you maybe you know, as a, as a as a as an animal, you want to change your habits. You know, you definitely want to improve them. You want to improve yourself and, and make your partner happy, as you said. And I think that's that's true love, if you ask me. People that want to stay the same and not evolve, sometimes they've got no one they're trying to impress. It's not a good thing. You, you just said evolve. It's for me, life is all about growing, learning, evolving, becoming more knowledgeable, becoming more modest, becoming better, understanding things that you never cared to understand before and just growing as a person. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because obviously people's development through life doesn't happen at the same time. And so you need to have an, ele- an element of luck in that your partner, unless she's already you know up here, kind of grows with you and develops with you. And I feel like with my changing relationship with alcohol, which has dramatically changed my character and my being, um, she's grown with me to the point where, you know, we would do anything for one another. We always thought we would, but there's an element of luck. If one person makes positive change in their life and they progress through life at a different rate, uh, it's quite hard to, to bring people with you. So with that respect, it's, um, it's uh, panned out really rather beautifully my relationship with my wife and I feel you know I couldn't be luckier to be to to have her really she's the most wonderful mother uh and you know as I've changed from uh egocentric reality television personality to to really quite really quite busy uh entrepreneur you know businessman who's you know, diaries full from 7am till 7pm most days. She's just completely managed that change and, 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 you know, she couldn't be better with the kids. And I often feel like, you know, I wish, we, uh, you know, it'd be nice to be at home a bit more, which is essentially why when people ask me about lockdown, lockdown was fantastic. You know, like we loved it. We, we, we stayed, obviously it wasn't, you know, great. And we're d- deeply remorseful of, you know, anyone who lost anyone during coronavirus. But, but you know, all it meant for us was I got to do a lot of work from home, got to spend loads of time with my wife and kids, uh, you know, and I felt like I managed to do, do a bit more for, for the family instead of just trying to build um, th- this empire for us, of course. But it, it, to, to my wife, it just seems like, you know, I go to work all day and they're left with, with, with you know, the rest. So it's nice to, to feel like more of a team. Okay. Uh, the, the, and it's, you know, I, I, feel, I feel as though it's, um, we're about as close as you can be, but I'd say lockdown brought us closer together. And I, I think a lot of people that are listening, I mean, globally, a lot of my listeners in, in Hong Kong or, or in New York and everyone who has been in lockdown, of course, it's not a good time for anyone. But taking the benefit from the difficult situation, I think is actually quite important to stay positive. And I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think spending time with people's families is also helping people readjust what's important. Going to work every day, coming home late and missing the child's lunchtime or missing a child and putting them to bed. For what? I mean, it's nice to include them, right? I mean, you, you yeah, just yeah. mentioned your child in the back of making a noise, so is mine. This is life. This is real life, right? And it's yeah. actually much nicer to include your family in that experience as opposed to have it all separate. So I think, yeah. I think everyone can relate to that. It's interesting earlier you mentioned the concept of like starting your own business is risky. What do you think of this theory that it's actually riskier to work for someone else? I mean, in theory, they've got, they're in control of when you go to work and what you do and whether they keep you or not. Actually, starting your own business, at least you're in control of your own destiny. What do you think about flipping that? Uh, I, uh, if anyone asked me to, if they should start their own business, I would always say that you know starting your own business is better than working for somebody else. But without without you know, it, or, or my my point was that, um, and you know, if you, had you spoken to me a year and a half ago, you know, without key people helping my decision making process, um, 
I would have been one of those startups that just fails. It's incredibly, it's incredibly difficult to understand the logistics of starting a successful business. You know, successful businesses don't just build themselves. And I think, in in a, in a strange way, I almost wish that there was. I was joking. Uh, on on mine and Jamie's podcast the other day, that we should start uh, a school for for a, a business school for adolescents, because <laughs> because actually like there's a number of quite simple. I mean, you're you've, you're successful and you're a cool guy. You, you probably know a lot of the things that I've learned over the last couple of years anyway, and I'm sure loads of your listeners already know certain things. But just simple things like you know funding the business accordingly providing uh you know equity perhaps to key individuals with whom the business won't work without structuring a business having a plan you know past you know like i always used to find it really funny when people would show me a business idea and they'd be like oh we're going to turn over this in 2025 and you go how can you possibly know what you're going to be turning over in five years? But it's not about the number. It's not about what you're going to turn over in 2025. It's just having a plan so that you know if you're in front of or behind the plan or, you know, without my managing director, David Folkman, um, the business would be in a completely different place. There's one thing having a big audacious goal and a great idea. And then there's delivering on it and logistically, you know, providing the consumer with a product that is properly packaged and all costs is incurred in the shipping of said product. And it arrives, you know, not broken to your door with a ribbon on it, you know, whatever it all takes a lot more than one uh, might think to start a business. There's always, you know, I see a lot of smart young kids that now, because I've been investing in, in businesses for some time now, um, they come to me with a plan and, and, you know, they come with an idea and it's like, uh, you know, we're going to raise this much money and we're going to do this. And then we're going to use the money from that to do this. And then we're going to use the money from that. And it's like, you've got to take a step back and think of it. You know, my, the first, the first, um, the first meeting I ever had about clean, I was sat with uh, with a guy who does some work for Diageo, and he said to me, um, "How much money are you going to raise for you know for this initial stint in round one? How much money are you going to raise?" And I was like, "Oh, well, it's going to cost uh, you know this many thousands to do the bottles, and it's going to cost this many thousands to do the labels, and then you know to develop the product, it's going to cost this and blah blah blah." So I don't know, like eighty grand, and he was like, "You're going to need about three million quid," and I just went. Three million quid, like for what? And he was like, team, marketing, office. But I was like, I don't need an office. He was like, you're going to start a successful business without an office and a team and a plan and a marketing strategy and an in-house, you know, this and an in-house that. And, you know, and, 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 I, and I just said, oh, no, but we'll come to that, you know, when we've done some turnover. And he was like, you're insane. It doesn't work like that. And, you know, and, I, and, I, had, and I had a bunch of, uh, you know, different meetings with different people and, I was able to sell the concept and the idea into an American venture capital fund who, you know, I, I openly admitted to them. I was like, I've never been a CEO before. I have no experience running a business whatsoever. All I know is that millions of people need this, you know, and millions of people want this. That's the only thing I know. What data do you have to back that up? None. It's just something that I know, you know, uh, and essentially they take it there, you know, these big multi, multi-billion dollar funds take a punt on an idea and a person because they like you essentially. And then as rounds get bigger and bigger and, and harder and harder, you're required to know a lot more and be able to provide a lot more information to keep the ball rolling. Uh, and that's where we are now. But for me, these last couple of years have been just the most exhilarating kind of learning curve. And I've just loved every second of it. It's like so exciting. And it's like, I don't, I'm not sure I would have had the maturity to have understand it all prior to becoming sober, but it did dawn on me. It's like, at no point is any of this stuff taught to you when you're young, or it certainly wasn't taught to me. And I just thought it's really handy knowing all this stuff, you know, like now I reckon I could, like if you came to me with a business idea, I reckon I could tell you with a relative degree of certainty kind of how to give you a, a better chance of making that business a success from just the things I've learned in the last couple of years. And uh, and I think a lot of people go into business without that. You know, they, they, they essentially don't minimize their risk. You know, they go in a bit blind and hope for the best in certain situations. And, oh, we only need 10% of my following to buy this for us to be millionaires. And it's like, well, of course, 10% of your following aren't going to fucking buy that. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's, it doesn't, things, things, um, 
require a lot more attention to detail than I think people with big ideas uh, assume is just a certainty. Because when you say certain things like, oh, well, you only need one in 10 people to buy this, you think, great, you know, that's that sounds easy, 10%, you know, but actually getting 10% of a, the country is 6 million people to buy it, you know, and, and you know, what, why... What, why would six million people buy what you have to sell? So actually you start to understand that, you know, it's going to be more like 0.1%. And then how do you get them to buy again? And how do you increase that 0.1% to 3%? And, you know, what does that look like? And how much time is that going to take? And anyway, so that's basically what I've been getting up to and learning. And, and it's it's really exciting. And and to be honest, it, it like it, it, it gets me... It gets me rolling out of bed in the morning, uh, you know, from somebody who used to drink really heavily two years ago and used to be perfectly happy spending the majority of my morning in bed with the hope of landing some TV show down the line uh, to, you know, desperately trying to get to the office early and like having to wait until I can officially call people because it's still too early to like get the ball rolling on certain things. My life is so different uh, to, to how it was. And I guess looping all the way back to our previous point, that's because of my wife. Um, And without her, I would never have had that step change in my life. So if we have some huge exit, you know, on this to Diageo in a few years' time or AB InBev or whoever, Perno, uh, ultimately I can credit my my wife for that. Uh, It'll be years of hard work that I've put in, but it wouldn't have happened without her. So, mm. oh, I, feel, I think I, you've said so many interesting things there that I hope the audience picked up on. I, I definitely think that entrepreneurship has become this kind of really co- overcomplicated thing in some respects. It, it, it is, it is sometimes about having the idea and just getting on with it. But like you say, there's, there's, there is a path. I mean, at school, if you want to be a doctor, it's so clear what you have to do. You want to become a lawyer, it's so clear what you have to do. Even if you want to become in banking, I know you worked in the city before, like you mentioned earlier. There's actually kind of a path. But somehow, for some reason, entrepreneurship, it's, it's kind of broken up into accounts over here or marketing over there, as if these things are all separate, when actually what you're saying is quite right. It's actually why I do this podcast. I'm trying to bring people like yourselves, the knowledge that you have into a, into a platform that people can listen to and then actually it's not that hard the theory's there but some people don't apply yeah. it even you've just described you know how to do it in this podcast people still don't follow it and and they wonder why they fail right and you can de-risk it to your point i actually think that at school the way to succeed at any school is to be able to retain information better than the bloke or, or young lady sat next to you um you're not really taught to think outside the box and do things differently. Uh, you're taught to, to stick to how to answer questions and how they've always been answered. And, you know, you get your A star and, you know, I was that irritating kid at school who would do kind of hardly anything throughout the year and teachers would just, you know, assume the worst of, and then, you know, three, four days before an exam, I'd lock myself in a room and, just absolutely study the hell out of, you know, whatever I needed to know for the exam, get an A and then move on and forget it all. You know, so it's a nightmare, nightmare for because you're actually you're not learning in the sense of, the, of how you should be learning. Um, I find uh, I, I just think there's so many other ways that kids or young men and women could express their creativity in a, in a kind of business sense. I studied economics for a while at school, didn't do particularly well at economics, but it's all kind of macro, micro stuff. Like uh, th- there was never a class that, uh, you know, kind of taught you to, to, to think outside the box and be different. And, you know, this exists and everybody uses it, but why don't we question it? And it's happening a lot nowadays, you know, with Oatly, with milk, you know, for example, just completely taking on dairy. And now there are 200 million brand revenue plus per year, just just killing it, you know. And if you pitched oat milk into someone a few years ago, they would have thought you were mad, you know, and it's similar to what we're doing with alcohol-free alcohol. You know, what's the point is, is the main thing that people say. And that kind of really drives me to, to make it better because the point is not to be drunk and it's really obvious to me but you know people why don't you drink a coke it's like why don't i want to drink a coke i want to have a gin and tonic without the alcohol um and you know there's 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 so many great examples 
of, of innovative brands that do a really good job with just super simple marketing who take on um, stuff that's been around for, for just years and years. And that that's what really excites me, kind of doing stuff differently, trying to find niches and markets that... Um, that, that, that are so they're almost asleep at the wheel fever tree is a good example you know schweppes had been motoring on here in the uk schweppes obviously a much bigger brand than, than fever tree and you know they're, they're the huge 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 and they do far larger turnover per year but here in the uk they've now lost majority market share to fever tree because fever tree just came along and did it differently and it's like swept woke up from the dead you know to, to try and regain their market share and it's exciting because actually the world's full of opportunities like that and you always see um you see them all the time if you go through supermarkets um you can see things that have been around for years that are just like consumed all the time that are desperately unhealthy and you just think must be a way of doing that better. You know, uh, I think health and moderation, uh, you know, for example, the moderation and people drinking less alcohol is completely driven essentially by a desire to be healthier. Uh, And I think that's a major factor in the world now. You know, most people now are keen to be healthier. In fact, all nations in the world are keen to be healthier apart from America. (laughs) America's flatlining on 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 the health uh, thing at the moment but we understand the market to be so so big over the over there due to uh the population size and and, and the fact that we can't be too different so we'll see yeah i mean there's again there's so many interesting points that you make there and uh, I, one of the things i go back to the education piece that you point out i think one of the things they don't teach in school as well is risk it's almost as if you know getting an A is the only way to succeed, but we all know statistically uh, that C students later end up hiring A students, right? So you know, but but not many A students go on to take risk because they've they've always been A's. So it, it's yeah. fascinating that the risk piece is missing from school too. But I agree to your point earlier. There is a need for a, a, a education earlier on in people's lives. I think now during COVID, with with what's happening with with the unemployment rates being so high, I'm hoping that will bring about some of that change. You don't need to go work for someone else. You you can go yeah. work for yourself. It's interesting just, also. Oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead Spencer. No, sorry, yeah, just on your point with risk, you know, it's absolutely impossible if if being incredibly wealthy is your end goal, which a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, goal is is to well, hopefully change the world and you know do do things differently, but also essentially, you know, become very wealthy. I feel like it's strange that, you know, people uh, uh, people, they don't question certain things. Like when I was was growing up and had the great fortune to be in, you know, St. Bart's in the summer, for example, and somebody rolls in on a 200 million quid yacht, you know, it's not a, for me, it's always been a not, oh, wow, that guy's, you know, incredibly rich. It's how did he manage to, to, to get that level of wealth to afford that level of luxury like in a simple way you walk down some streets in london you see a 20 million pound house the person who lives in that house you know even if they earn a million quid a year you'd have to do that for 40 years after tax you know of consistently earning a million quid a year every year you know after tax for 40 years to, to 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 be able to then put all of your money into that house like that's not how it works that person's taken risks and they may have built something but Essentially, it's impossible. Um, it's impossible to, if you do determine your success by, by wealth, it's impossible to be incredibly wealthy without uh, a, a, a fairly substantial size for risk, you know, appetite for risk. Um, so the risk piece is, is really interesting. Uh, and, and of course, ultimately, um, not to say that anybody who works for anybody else uh, is doing it wrong. You know, a lot of people seek comfort in different ways. But... Uh, but it's it's incredibly unrisky, you know, to 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 have. You know, when I was working at ICAP, my job is risk free. You know, I get, I do a job for ICAP, and I come every morning and I leave every afternoon, and there's no element of risk. And if I do a big trade that goes really badly wrong, it's no skin off my back. Doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, it may lead to me getting fired one day if I keep getting it wrong. Uh, but essentially, I'm not I'm not risking uh, any degree of my own kind of personal wealth as such um are you a risk taker i I definitely am Um, but i think as you get older risk gets harder so that's why this message i think i was 
push out, which I, you're talking about too, do it when you're young. I definitely, you doing it now when you've got two kids taking this risk, it, it does get harder, right? I mean, I think risk is easier when you're younger, but ironically, when you're younger, you don't realise it. You think you've got plenty of time to, to work hard later, so you get distracted with other things. But yeah. it's, it's definitely um, definitely part of my DNA. I mean, I, I started working at 15 years old and I didn't party at, at 20 at all. And, but, and now I love my life today. But when I was 20 and working, running my own business, I definitely felt pain. I felt like was I missing out on something when everyone else is at university having a good time it's yeah. uh, it, there's, there's, but there's, that's the thing isn't it there's always that, that, that kind of high and low you've got to have some pain to get some gain it doesn't matter if you're going to the gym or starting a business right you you've got to make some sort of sacrifice along the way and uh, yeah. So, so yeah I think risk is important I also found interesting what you're talking there about the food industry generally I mean there's always this thing when I was growing up that fat was bad for example. And, and, and if you'd asked me 20 years ago, you know, something with zero fat in it, that's absolutely the thing to eat, right? But yeah. in reality, fat's actually good for you. It's a type of fat. Yeah. So it, it is interesting how you do get, I think the whole world gets used to what they're told. And it is, yeah. I think, a trait of an entrepreneur to also question it. So it sounds like you always had the entrepreneur spirit in you, but you did work for other people and sounds like you still enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I've always I've always quite enjoyed uh, working and stuff, and it's only a recent thing of mine to kind of want to to do stuff all on my own, and and, and you know I, I've had very few like lightning bolt moment ideas in my life. You know, I'm not some kind of genius who who has loads of different cards up my sleeve uh, by any sense of the word. You know, when I had my first alcohol free gin and tonic, I knew that the, the, the gap in the market was just vast i'd never heard of it it'd been around for years it didn't taste great and i was like how is this not a thing that's everywhere uh and i knew that by dedicating years of my life to getting that right would be worth it um that doesn't mean to say that i'm right to do it you know a lot and and you know, you get enthusiastic uh, entrepreneurs and founders about all sorts that you know don't that that I that wouldn't enthuse others. And sometimes you go, God, wow, am I missing something here? Or you know, or, or is that guy just really into toilet paper? You know, like it's it's it, but it's interesting. I do find that dealing with uh, I find that dealing with entrepreneurs uh, is really exciting. And actually, we you know, I encourage. Uh, our whole team at Clean to be entrepreneurial and to share their view on everything that we do and to question everything that we do. I think it's incredibly important to question everything. Um, I, f- I do find as well that we live in a world where every that a lot of people are just happy to follow whatever you know they're told, like queues at airports. You've got me on a rant now. Queues at airports. Often you go to an airport. And there's some long kind of snaky queue. And, and then the line next to them is completely free. And there's, you know, there's people at the front and there's, and you just go down the empty one. And people, you know, the, the people would almost rather stand in the queue than, than go down the empty queue because they just assume that because there's no one in the empty queue, it has to be, it has to not be, you know, a, a real queue. And, you know, if you go to the airport and you look at all the counters, there's always someone at a counter that's not doing anything. And there's always, and, and, and you just go to them. I'm not trying to teach people how to professionally queue jump here, but, you know, there, there's, there, there, there's, 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 I don't know. I try, I try to almost never follow, swim with the fish or follow the herd. I always find that if, if everybody's doing something, it's, Prob- there's probably a different way to do it but yeah but i but like j- jumping back i mean do you think entrepreneurs are born or bred um i think i think it is possible to breed an entrepreneur but i do think having an entrepreneurial father can only help uh but having said that i mean i, I haven't really looked into it to be honest mate but uh but uh i i, I imagine a lot of people are, are born you know, with an ability to, to spot gaps in markets and, and, you know, with an ability to, to do things that others can't. Um, I think it's quite nice to imagine a world where everyone has equal opportunity, but I don't believe that everyone, uh, you know, it, it has, has the same way of thinking about things or, or the same ability to execute a plan. Um, but, uh, then again, I don't, I don't think it's possible just to teach any kid how to be an entrepreneur. So I think it, is, I think it has to be a pleasant mix of both, I suppose. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think everyone's born at zero. I look at my child today, you know, he, he, he can be anything. I think we end up molding them in an image that we want or telling them things that go into their subconscious that make them believe they are or are not possible. There's no such thing as a profile of an entrepreneur. That's my opinion. You know, you look at the Google founders or Mark Zuckerberg. These are not people you describe in a description of what an entrepreneur looks like, right? Yeah. Someone who's shy, a bit geeky, um, wants to be more popular at school, comes up with the most one of the most valuable companies in the world, you know, making yeah. one of the most influential companies in the world. You know, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think we're all born at zero, but I think there is a, with back to the education piece, I think that throughout the process, something happens. Like you say, if you've got a, a parent who's entrepreneurial, it can maybe either put you off. I've seen that too, where you're like, I don't want to live that life. You know, we were rich, we were poor, we were rich, we were poor, which is basically my family upbringing. And, and I think that that can put you off because it's who wants to be on that roller coaster ride. But so your environment affects like, you a lot. It's luck of the draw who you end up spending time with when you're young as well and who, yeah. who is in your immediate circle or who your family knows or whatever. It's who, who kind of rubs off on you in a positive way as well. It's who, it's who, who you want to be like, right. I suppose, who, and who, who kind of floats your boat. You know, if you're typically speaking, if you're a young kid and you're obsessed with rock stars and musicians, you want to become a rock star or a musician. You know, if you grow up, uh, in an environment surrounded by, you know, wealthy businessmen, maybe you want to become a wealthy businessman, you know, who knows? Um, did, did, so, did, yeah. did you, did your friend circle change as you've evolved in, in, into what you're doing now? Did, did, did you find yourself surrounding yourself with a different type of profile or did it, was it already happening? Everyone else was maturing with you, as you mentioned earlier. Um, I find it quite difficult to spend any extended periods of time with people that I don't kind of, uh, admire in some way. Uh, and yeah, I mean, in my, in my life, I've spent a lot of time with, you know, people who were more similar to how I was, uh, before I made a change in my life. Uh, that doesn't mean to say that the door's just completely shut. You know, I, I still spend some time with some of my older friends. Uh, but I'm not, um, I'm not, uh, I, I, I do believe, who was it? Was it Jeff Bezos that said, life's too short to spend any time with anyone who's not resourceful? <laughs> I think I think that's... No wonder he's the richest what, man on the planet. That's one way of looking at it. His own wife has to be resourceful. Until, until yeah, exactly. Wife. That's one way of looking at it, Jeff. But, uh, but you know, I, I think, I think it's, um, it, de- it definitely is the case that I'm more excited to spend time with people who are on a more similar path to me. Mm. Uh, but again, that doesn't mean to say that, you know, oh, you're... Yeah, no, you know, no, no judgment, but I think it... it like out of my hand. Yeah, no, um, no, well, that would be. But yeah, I certainly do find myself uh, spending time with uh, older people now, or, or, or people, or, and my own team. By the way, we built a team of um, people who obviously I didn't know before this year, and uh, I kind of love and admire most of them. Uh, and I, I, I obviously, on a daily basis, spend time with them. But actually, my social life drifts into spending a bit of time with them as well. Uh, and as you know, with, with kids and and um, and what you might call a serious job, it's, it's very difficult to have a very full social life as well. But that's, uh, you know, I said the other day to someone, I would I would happily take my social life behind the back of the barn and shoot it between the eyes at this stage. I mean, I've got a lot more interesting things, in my opinion, going on uh, than, than having to seek uh, validation on the kind of social circuit. I, I don't really care too much. Uh, it is nice to put your feet up and enjoy, you know, times with, with old pals and, 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 you know, catch up. But at the moment, my kind of purpose, uh, uh, and, and drive is, is trying to achieve my vision. Um, and, and that, that, that requires, uh, an awful lot of time. Um, so I have to say, yeah, you know, it was my birthday the other day and a lot of my kind of old mates came around and we spent the afternoon together and it was great, but it, it did feel like, wow, I haven't seen them in, in ages. And, it's not that I don't value my time uh, or our times together. It's just uh, I think that good friendships last, and you know, ultimately, if I lose four or five years of my life to to, to clean liquor and getting it right, it will all be for something in the long run. And uh, ultimately, those doors will remain open, I'm sure. And if they don't, maybe they weren't great friends in the first place. That's right. And the truth is, when you have a family as well, like you say, juggling it all, you know, you, 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 there's only so much you can do. I think people that have kids sometimes also end up not being able to see friends that don't have kids. It's nothing personal, but they don't understand why you have to go to bed at 9.30 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> because that child will wake up three times in the night and you have to do your bit. And, uh, you know, friends that don't have kids will not necessarily understand that. And I think it's very similar with entrepreneurship. You know, if you're working till midnight, one in the morning on something you feel very passionate about and you're not out partying, yeah. unless you've done that and are doing it, people 
people don't understand, right? So it's it's something. It's not personal. It's just an, an evolution well, or direction. Yeah, I was sorry to keep quoting famous entrepreneurs, but uh, Elon Elon Musk said, you know, ultimately, if I if I put in twice the amount of work that you put in, I'm going to achieve twice as much as you. Yeah, you know, it's a like hundred hour day kind of mod, uh, hundred hour week uh, model. Right. You've got your own quote, Spencer. I've already got one for you, which is "Don't queue at airports." So people will be throwing that around as, as uh, the Spencer Matthews uh, insight in business. <laughs> Do not queue at airports. Yeah. So we, we, Just you, go, down, go, go down the business class queue, even yeah. if you're not in business yeah, class. Yeah, and, oh, and say, sorry, I didn't realise that this was the business yeah, class oh, one. And is it okay now I'm here if I check in? <laughs> exactly, yeah. PS can I have an upgrade. Yep, totally. Absolutely, yeah. But, um, well, I mean, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, how the actual mechanism of how you started uh, clean liquor and and um, you mentioned a little bit earlier about having a partner and, and investors i know a lot of people that are listening might like to start their own business did it just start with an idea and then you started telling people and you got you know rallied the troops or how did it how did it play out uh it started it started with, with an idea and i ended up uh going to the distillery and seeing you know what it was it was possible uh with in terms of alcohol free gin um and we got to a point where i was quite happy with the product and uh when i was reasonably happy with the product uh, i realized that you know getting it to market is something completely different and i have no understanding of the alcohol world or even the the retail world you know nothing really uh my relationships did not stem into the business world per se uh so i spoke to a number of key individuals who who essentially put me in touch with a gentleman called justin hicklin older guy full of experience, uh, one of those really calm, cool, kind of considered 60-year-olds who uh, has been around the block a few times and, and kind of gets it. Uh, and he uh, helped me to mould uh, a plan, essentially. He's one of those guys that walks around with one of those kind of A3 pads of paper at all times with a pencil, and kind of he got it out and he drew up a plan of how to structure this business. And actually, I can remember being just really quite impressed with the level of detail that he went into, you know, on day one. Um, he requested uh, some equity for his time were he to stay on as a partner. Um, and we agreed a deal. At the time, I was very pr protective of my billion-dollar idea, call it, you know, whatever I thought it was worth in my mind. Uh, and... Um, and, you know, I wanted to give away, like, next to nothing. You know, I didn't, you know, this this is something that it was mine and, you know, I'm happy to kind of build the team, but, you know, the idea is mine, the idea is mine. Um, and ultimately, you realise quite early on that good people are not going to spend uh, huge chunks of their time and resource uh, without an end game. They will have their opinion on what your business is worth and what the potential end game um, looks like. And... Um, we negotiated a deal which was soon renegotiated uh, essentially and ended up with a split that we were both uh, quite comfortable with. Um, and then from there, uh, we brought in uh, a couple of guys that worked for Innocent uh, all the way through to Sale to Coca-Cola. Um, and then we grew the team essentially from, uh, from the four of us uh, to now 11 of us with a plan to make it 28 uh, by the middle of 2021 and um, you know we hired a, a marketing expert from Britvic and you know our team now has three people from Innocent you know a girl from Vita Coco you know just uh, like my, my whole point at the very beginning was once I got on board with right this is going to be a serious player in a serious space we need the best people you know we do we interviewed a load of people and there was you know, this guy or this girl that costs this much. And then there was this guy or this girl that, you know, costs a bit less because, you know, they're, they're, and we just made the decision quite early on to, to just go with heavy hitters. Uh, I had essentially opened a friends and family rounds uh, and had hit a bit of a plateau with the raise. Uh, there was... 400k left of we agreed to raise 2.1 million pounds we had got there through uh, david and justin had developed a business plan uh that saw us um spending 2.1 over the course of the first 18 months this to me at the time was all like 
what are we going to spend two million quid on in 18 months? And they were like, we can assure you this is quite normal. In fact, it's not even a big raise, you know, and I um, kind of at the time just decided I had to take their word for it. Um, and all, all, the while, all the while as well, thinking, you know, uh, of that scene from um, uh, the social network when Andrew Garfield signs that, <laughs> that contract that essentially screws him out of the company. Yeah. Uh, the, the, would, you like, would you like to use my pen scene? And he just signs it, you know, without reading thinking it. that they're his lawyers, yeah. Well, every time that we're, well, I was, you know, we were signing anything major, I was thinking like, I've never done this before, so I, I was having stuff looked over, unlike young Garfield. Uh, and, and anyway, so so gone off piste again. But um, when we had about three, four hundred grand left of the round, um, I read an article. Somebody sent me an article that was written by a lady called Ashley Brazier uh, from Lightspeed about beating the three-tier distribution system in the states and how young entrepreneurs are turning to non-alcoholic variants of popular spirits and i read it and i and it was midnight here and um i went onto the lightspeed website and i found her, her contact info and i asked her if we could talk and i said you know it sounds like your article is literally written about us you know this is what we are doing and she said um why don't you call me in half an hour and it was twelve thirty at this stage so i spoke to her for an hour uh, in the middle of the night and she said well you know my partner's in town next week you know we'll we'll meet you and we'll have a chat and uh, that's taking us back to the beginning of the podcast when I said you know that I was saying I've never run a company before but they took a punt and they said uh, at the lunch table that they wanted to invest two million quid and there was only three hundred grand left so I said oh you know will you just fill the three hundred grand and they said we won't do that we'll do a minimum of a million so we overraised." Uh, and essentially were oversubscribed and I sold more of the company at that stage than I had planned on. But the general consensus was, this is Lightspeed Venture Partners, mate. Like, you know, if they come knocking with a million quid, you, you don't tell them to fuck off type thing. Um, hello, darling. My little Theodore. Come say hi. Come, come here. Dada. Come, Dada. Little rat. Dada. Right, it's on the bed. Good try, uh, good try. They don't do what you tell them, do they? You could be the CEO of the company, but they don't understand. They don't yeah. listen. Get over here. I am yeah. the CEO. Come over here. Make 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 that. A, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So so essentially, um, again, the whole thing was a huge learning curve. I was told, you know, before that meeting that Lightspeed are never going to have, you know, like the, at the stage it was just an idea. We'd never sold a single bottle, you know, blah blah blah, and uh, and it all moved quite quickly. <laughs> And from and from that point onwards, um, I had a bit more wind in my sails, a bit more confidence as a CEO. You know, I was a light speed backed founder, and apparently pretty rare that they just dive into an investment like that without doing too much DD. Because um, I think ultimately she just she loved the idea, she liked me, and um, uh, and it and it kind of worked out quite well. Um, and then you know, just building on that, uh, Justin and David helped to to build a team that I honestly believe is. Just incredible, you know, retail specialists, marketing experts, uh, you know, you know, and, and now we we uh, all meet five times a week in, in East Putney in our office and um, try and achieve the unachievable. But we're growing extremely quickly. We're just in the middle of closing a uh, seven million pound Series A round, uh, and we've been going. We've only been trading. Um, we've only been. That's what oh, I've just realised. While my laptop's broken, Theodore's got it open on the bed. Just kicking the absolute hell out of it you, you so. lose two laptops every year that they're alive that's what i yeah so i'm three years in i'm on my sixth laptop so yeah that's the way it is yeah so so essentially um you know having them in our in our corner uh, did us a world of good and we we're chatting to other funds now but i feel you know two years into my journey that i'm now you know well able to have proper quite heavy hitting conversations with you know vcs about the space and the opportunity and what we need money for and why and mm. blah, blah, blah. whereas you know i don't mind saying in my early when we first started the company you know i wouldn't take a call with you know lightspeed even who were partners of ours without justin or david there you know just just in case they asked me anything that i wouldn't have the answer to whereas now actually i prefer to do things on my own because you know Firstly, I think it looks better, and secondly, uh, it's just easier to get to the point, you know. And um, and no, I've uh, I certainly feel as though we've uh, we're doing some really cool stuff. We're launching in in Los Angeles in January 2021, 
which will be amazing. We're looking forward to that. We have four listeners there. I know that for sure. So those four listeners better buy it. We've got at least yeah. four in LA. I know it. So well, those four listeners, know, please buy it when it comes out. Yeah. <laughs> I could say four million. Who, who would know? But but yeah. I, but I, I I have to say um, first of all, thank you for sharing your authentic story there. I think what I really get excited about when you tell that story is that it's a journey a lot of people go on and I think there's a lot and there's a reason why businesses fail in the first year quite often is because they don't adapt in the way you've just explained they don't admit of what they didn't know they don't accept that perhaps for example they're holding on to equity too tight when in the end it's about owning five percent of Facebook not 51 percent of MySpace right so you know equity doesn't mean anything it does and it doesn't control means something control of your vision control of what you're doing and and like you say the culture of the company these things matter but equity sometimes gets lost in the mix and I love your story there because I think it shows the whole gambit of often what you've just described there my experience and I'm I'm on my 18th startup so I've seen it all is that but basically the whole process is often that first year you hold on to the equity you don't open those doors you don't bring in that talent it doesn't go anywhere and then it closes and you say well I had the experience then the second time or the third time around you realize what you've already learned the first time around which is bring in talented people let them have a stake in the game let them own a part of it it's better that way they're more loyal they want to stay the course and and that that's such an important lesson that I, I hope my listeners pick up on because a lot of entrepreneurs don't learn that early enough a couple of a uh, couple of lads came in uh the other day to pitch in what was actually an awesome idea and um i got my team to do a bit of work on it and go back to them with you know potential shortcomings and you know where we think they'll fall short of their plan uh and essentially they're they're at the stage where they're just not shifting on on what it is that they're willing to give up and uh it was well worth making the point that you know at the moment you own 60 percent and you own 40 percent of nothing just so you're aware like the company value is zero uh so you know if you're looking to turn it into 500 million quid company or billion quid company or whatever you think is achievable in your space, uh, you will not get there with two people uh, who, you know, have no experience of building a business uh, unless you're extremely lucky. Uh, but, you know, it's, as you just said, you know, owning, we, we've got, there's, there's, there's a couple of billionaires uh, on our books now who've invested uh, quite recently who are sat on, um, you know, one of them is buying one and a half percent of our company. She obviously doesn't care about, you know, her equity stake in the business. It's more about the potential upside of what that investment can kick off. Um, and that's the way in which people should invest, in my opinion. I have a lot of friends who look at businesses and they go, oh, well, the valuation is, um, is, is really low, so we should get in. And it's like, well, maybe it's low for a reason, you know, and maybe, you know, they need money too much and they don't have a proper plan or, or it's the other way. It's the valuation is too high. You know, I'm going to sit this one out. And it's like, but what is the end game in your opinion? You know, like every graph from an entrepreneur looks like that, right? But it's like, in your opinion, and I had this discussion with a fund yesterday, you know, if you're, if you're looking to invest a, this amount or that amount or somewhere in between, you know, if you agree with me that the exit is somewhere off the screen over here, what are we even talking about? Who cares? You know, you need to ultimately understand that the end result is possible to achieve it. That's what you're betting on. You know, you're not betting on, you know, trying to secure a a stake of a certain size will vary on a business per business basis unless it's valued exactly the same and they're raising exactly the same amount of money. So I often come across people who goes, oh, I, I, ha- I require at least a 10% stake. And it's like, but that's absurd. What does it Ooh. matter anyway? Why is equity the point? It's not exactly yeah. right, yeah. It doesn't make any difference because your, your, your 10% stake in something that could be 3x, you know, there could be a 3x exit, or you could have a 1% stake in, in a 10 in a, in a 10x exit, and then you're looking at the exact same investments. So it doesn't, shouldn't really matter. It's the size of the opportunity that matters, and how tapped the market is, and whether or not you believe in the founder and their team, and whether or not they can achieve the things that they say they can achieve. Totally. I mean, I think the other thing that you've you've got, I feel, in your business is this purpose, the bigger picture idea of 
in, in, in this case for the clean liquor company, helping people still enjoy a drink without the side effects and the negativity that alcohol can sometimes bring to someone's life. And I think that's a bigger purpose. So, you know, I, I'd be very proud to own 0.2% in a business that's achieving that and who, who cares you know if I ever make my money back if it's going out there and making the world a better place and it's cheesy but I think people work for that I'm sure the staff that work at that used to work at Innocent are now working for you Innocent's a great brand right but they come and work for you maybe they maybe they feel that you're doing it you know differently and, and something that they want to be involved in that maybe you know but my wife for example she won't mind me saying she grew up with a father who was a drunk you know and I don't want to blame him you know it was alcohol was addictive you know, so, 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 you know, I definitely feel like uh, that, that, that this, your, your business would resonate with her and, and therefore affect me as an investor because, it, you know, she, why not provide a product out there that gives people that enjoyment of having a, a nice drink without the side effects or the addiction and yeah. so on. So, yeah, so yeah. I, think, I think that's what you've got, purpose. And that's one thing I always try to tell my audience. Uh, purpose is, will help you recruit people, right? And it will help yeah. you not only recruit people to come and work in the company, but also attract the right type of investors. Yeah, it's a nice, uh, it's certainly a nice story. And it's one of those things that I think is, uh, you know, in five, in five years time, providing that our competition and our own brand, you know, does what we know we can do. Uh, it'll be one of those things that you look at that you feel will have existed for 100 years, you know, like you walk into a bar, and there'll be non alcoholic offerings of the alcoholic stuff. And, kind of just makes sense like you know in the same way that you know a thin pizza to a big fat thick bits of pizza you know there's there's two there's two of a lot of people everybody's favorite stuff right so i heard you talking all about pizza on another podcast by the way and it got me very hungry how you used yeah. to love to eat two thick crust pizzas and it got, it got can, me- the dessert that's the beauty of it delivery is still on <laughs> I could, I could talk to you all day long. I'm conscious that you are a CEO of a fast-growing company and you need to get back to work. And plus, you've got a 10-day-old baby and, and family uh, to look after. So I, have, I want to let you go. Um, I, just before we go, I've, I've got a load of other questions I wanted to ask you. So if I could have you come back on sometime um, and, and yeah, talk cool. about... I want to talk about education. I, I want to talk about luck, which ironically is the theme of this podcast. We didn't really get into that too much. I wanted yeah. to talk about um, you know, lo- lots of other things. I'd love to have you back on. The work-life balance piece I'd like to get further into and how to get that uh, right. And, but um, I, I'm conscious that we, we've talked for a long time and our listeners might not stay on. I was actually going to suggest that, um, by the way, I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Uh, and sorry about the uh, technical issues that we had at the beginning that's almost certainly my fault no no we're uh, blaming trump everything that doesn't work is trump's fault yeah, there you go. Trump's <laughs> zoom trump. he's probably blocking as we speak um i'll come to yours next time Sure, yeah that would be wonderful yeah we uh, uh we would we would uh, welcome you we um why don't we why don't we put some time in uh so my essentially my diary is gonna not completely free up but free up quite considerably uh, as of uh, middle of, middle of this week, we're kind of we should be closing the round, and then it'll all be um, just paperwork to go back and forth, which I won't be handling. So I should I should have several hours uh, quite soon if you want to finish the conversation and do another one. Definitely, I, I, really- think, I, I would like that. I think our listeners don't need to listen to our diary schedule. We 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 can talk that about that offline. Unless our listeners do want to listen to the diary schedule, and we can work out a date right now. I'm sure our listeners would love that. First day at five? No, Friday at two? Yeah, no. Yeah. I'll get in touch with Dean and we'll sort something out. But yeah, you live in North London, yeah? Yes, I do. Yeah, I won't give the address. Again, people on Spotify might turn up at my home. But but yeah, we'll, we'll make it work. I, I want to kind of close the podcast off, but just asking one final question of you. If you went back to your younger self and gave some advice, what would it be? It's hard because you would say, oh, you know, stop drinking and stop passing. But actually, it is the excessive nature of my behavior over my 20s that led me to do this. So um, I would I would I would have done a bit less reality television, uh, probably. Uh, So I would have urged myself to uh, try and see a kind of. Try, try and understand the end result more, be less. I, I've always been completely free, kind of. I would always just do th- anything for the sake of it. And, you know, I would always never really think of the consequences of any kind of behavior. Uh, I was pretty selfish in my 20s. Uh, I cared an awful lot about just myself. Uh, probably wasn't the best son that I could have been. So I would have been, not that I was ever kind of openly nasty to my my family, but I would have 
been uh, slightly more attentive to, to my family, I suppose, and been a little bit less um, uh, self-centered. Uh, very difficult advice to give a young man. <laughs> if, you, if I had come back from the future and given myself that advice, I would have, I would have said, so fuck off, mate. Uh, no. But uh, but yeah, I think um, yeah. I don't know. There's not uh, you know. There's not there's not too much about my life that I think has gone you know terribly wrong. But I would have uh, yeah. I would have possibly I would I would have gone sober a couple of years before I did, uh, providing that didn't have a negative effect on what we're currently doing now. And uh, and yeah, just being a bit more uh, conscious of my surroundings, perhaps. I think in, in your uh, point there, you make a very interesting detail I think people need to understand. A lot of people are searching for purpose and searching for what they're meant to be doing. And a lot of my listeners are like that. Like, I want to start something, but I don't know what's my purpose, what's my purpose. But sometimes you need some experience to find that purpose. I know that's true for me. I left school and home at 15 to start a business. I went through all that pain. That's now why in my 40s I'm going back to that 15-year-old and helping them. You know, like that, that yeah. you need to go through that process in a way to, to learn what you're meant to be doing. It's not always instant. That's kind of your point, isn't it? That you wouldn't necessarily yeah. change anything because you wouldn't be where you are today and you're happy with where you are today. So, so it's, it's, it's all good, right? Wonderful. I'm going to quickly sum up what I've taken away from today's podcast. I think um, risk is good. Fat is good. Don't queue at airports. Um, learn on the job, which I think is something you've done tremendously well. Listen and, and, and take feedback and push forward on things you believe in, but also listen when you need to. Everybody needs a Justin Hickling in their life. I think that's a, yeah. that's a really good point. Um, go with heavy hitters. Such good advice early on. So many people tried to basically do it on the cheap and then they wonder why it doesn't work. You know, get, get the best in in any way you can. And I, I think um, for, for me, this whole... Um, love the idea of like telling people to when they're younger less reality tv i think most people dream of being on a really reality tv show but watching it less and being in it less probably good advice for the younger generation and and start doing and and you'll learn a lot more by doing right but thank you spencer for sharing your insight. listen more oh that that's true listening's uh, that that's a skill in its own uh, so yeah. thank you for uh, letting us listen to you today spencer and for sharing your insights cheers dude Thank you for listening to the Good Luck Club podcast today. I hope you found Spencer's insights interesting. If you did, follow him on social media, click through to his company and buy his products. On behalf of the Good Luck Club, I'd like to thank you for listening to the podcast show today. We know you have thousands of people, thousands of podcasts even, that you could be listening to and you take the time out to listen to ours. And we feel exceedingly lucky. Thanks very much, mate. Thank you very much. I uh, really appreciate your time, mate. Awesome to have you.